is on this morning. It was missed on the slide. But good morning, church family. Uh, good morning, extended church family. Uh, thanks for coming and joining with us this morning. Uh, it's so good to have even those online joining us. Um, and Lord willing, God's word would be an absolute blessing for all of us this morning. Uh, my name's Andrew Lawrence, and I'm one of the elders here. And it's, of course, my ab- absolute privilege to open up the Word of God for us this morning. Now, I do want to start um, by just acknowledging that, that, Lord willing, there'll be a portion of uh, you guys here this morning that uh, will love this message. Uh, and, Lord willing, there'll be hallelujah, praise the Lords throughout this message. Um, but the flip side is there's going to be people here that this is really going to press some buttons. Uh, and, it, and it could be downright offensive, and I want to acknowledge that. And, and maybe that's because it's all that you have been taught, all that you have um, grown up with. Uh, you've become a new believer, and you've Googled these things, and you're feeding on it, and you're loving it. So I want to preface this message this morning with Second Timothy 2, 3 to 16, and... Um, sorry, Chris, I meant to double check. Yep, all good. Thank you. I've got a bit of a slide to go. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man, so that every believer in Christ may be complete and equipped for every good work. Let's pray together before we get going. Father God in heaven, all glory be to your name. Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, teach us, grant us the wisdom for what is profitable for salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning. With all humility, yet with such confidence, Lord, we draw near to you. Lord, that you would show us what is profitable for rebuke, what is for teaching in righteousness, for correction, that we may be equipped. Lord, change our, draw our desire that we would be equipped for every good work that you have for us. Amen. Rightio. Um, so the, for the weeks of January, if you've been here, you'll know that we've been working through modern day heresies and I get to do the last one. Um, <clears throat> And so, if, if that sparks your interest, uh, j- jump online on uh, our YouTube channel, Funderburg Bible Church. Uh, like and subscribe. <laughs> oh, man, I could be a YouTuber, eh? Um, but you'll just find them all there and you can catch up and enjoy it, Lord willing. Uh, so, today's heresy is the power of my words. Do my words have power and how are they heretical. Uh, And so that we're not confused with what a heresy is, in brief, it's a belief or opinion that is in contradiction to the truth of God's Word and the foundational biblical principles and doctrines of the church. And we're going to start at the top shelf. I don't reckon it can get any more, well, maybe just a smidge more, but it's very close to the most heretical thing that anyone could say or believe. And um, 
So we're going to have a look. I've got a couple of video clips um, that we're going to play. This first one is from Joseph Prince, and he's expounding from very shortly from Genesis chapter 1 and Mark 11. God saw darkness and God said, light be, and he saw the light, and it was good. We are created in the image of God. Faith operates like this. You speak it and you will see it. So believe what God says in your heart and then speak it with your mouth. You must speak it. Knowing, Lord, I have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ has perfect recall of every memory that's needed. I have the mind of Christ. Confess it. Don't say my mind is getting, you know, I'm getting forgetful. I'm getting old and all that. No, friend, you be careful with that because Jesus taught them the, how to have the faith of God by saying this. Whoever shall say unto the mountain, be thou removed. Now, say to the mountain is what? Your mouth. Whoever shall say to the mountain, be removed and be thrown into the sea and will not doubt where? In your heart. So we have the mouth and the heart. Again, it's that simple. Believe and speak. Does not doubt in his heart. He will have whatever he says. Hallelujah. He'll have whatever he says. There we go. Did you, did you catch it? Did anyone catch it? That's mind-bending stuff, isn't it? That because we've been created in the likeness and image of God, we can be like God and speak things into being from nothing. And who on earth, who would dare elevate themselves to the same status and ability of God Himself? False teachers, that is precisely who. And the actual clip that I was looking for is, is actually one from Brian Houston. Uh, from, you know, he was the former lead pastor of uh, Hillsong Church. And he preached exactly the same message. That because we've been made in the image of God, we can speak it into being. Now, it's been taken off the internet. I couldn't find it anywhere. Sam can vouch for me. We both listened to the same message from him. But the thing that turned my stomach for a second time was the, the things that he said that we should be speaking into being. Brian went on to say that if you want to be a best-selling author, speak it. If you want to be a homeowner, you need to declare it. If you want to be debt-free, speak it. If you want that promotion speak it. And ironically, I can't help but see a direct link, another direct link in Genesis. If Brian and Joseph would just keep preaching on through to Genesis chapter 3, to the fall of man into sin, we would see that Satan is still using the same playbook from the very beginning. Genesis 3, Satan comes to Eve and he says, did God, did God really say that, Eve? That if you eat the fruit, and, and of course, that you'll die? And, and of course, she quotes the command of God and, and says, well, yeah, he, he said, if, I eat, if we eat the fruit, we will die. And Satan undermines the Word of God and says, no, Eve, no, you will not certainly die. In fact, God actually knows that if you eat that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. There's the sin. 
there's the same deception. All of a sudden, the desire for the fruit is not there, but the desire that wells up to be like God grows, and it bears fruit, and death enters the world. It's in our sin nature, and we have to actively put in whatever way we elevate ourselves to a God-like status or ability, we need to put it to death. Isaiah 45 verse 5 says, it makes it so clear, God says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God but me. So our number one example is is, well, to me, and Lord willing to you, is black and white. It is black and white heresy. Just because we have been made in the likeness of God does not equal that we are just like God. And if you want to want some homework for when you get home and, and you want to Google and go straight to, uh, go straight to uh, gotquestions.org and you, you search up communicable and incommunicable attributes of God, you'll see what is, in fact, transferable, what characteristics of God, love, forgiveness, mercy, are transferable, and the things that are only for God and God alone. What about positivity? What about the power of positive words? And to digress just really quickly, there is a reality in that. In earthly terms, I have the ability to build people up and tear people down with my words. Okay, but that's not what we're focusing on here. We're focusing on the heretical side of things where positive affirmation of words, of joy, of abundance, of success over my life, how is that heretical? I've got an example from Joel Osteen. Let's see if you can pick up on that bad boy. I want to talk to you today about how your words become your reality. You are where you are today in part because of what you've been saying about yourself. Words are like seeds. When you speak something out, you give life to what you're saying. If you continue to say it, eventually that can become a reality. Whether you realize it or not, you are prophesying your future. And this is great when we're saying things like, I'm blessed, I'm strong, I will accomplish my dream, I'm coming out of debt. That's not just being positive, you are prophesying victory, prophesying success, prophesying new levels. Your life will move in the direction of your word. <laughs> Sorry, I, I did mean to bring some vomit bags, but it, it's just not the reality of it. What's wrong with this? This idea that, that I have the ability to speak positivity, direction, and blessing in my own life. Well, again, it, it's the same heresy, but just a little more subtle. With the power of positivity, I have the ability to control my own joy and satisfaction in life. And again, it is a dethroning of God's sovereignty and His good will over every aspect 
of our life. But not only that, it diminishes my need for Jesus to be my everything. Amen? So herein lies the problem. Humanity's desire to to fulfill his own desire for joy, security, satisfaction, health, wealth, and prosperity. And it's justified by using the Bible to make it sound valid and authoritative. You'll find that false teachers, false prophets, word of faith, prosperity, gospel, name it and claim it, preachers very rarely, if ever, preach exegetically. We start at John chapter 1 and we work verse by verse through the book till we get to the last verse. That's exegetically. It's the most authoritative, authentic form of preaching. And they won't do it because it doesn't allow them to jump all over the Bible. I'll take a bit from the Old Testament, a bit from the New, a verse here, a half verse there, one word from here, and then all of a sudden, the words of the Bible are becoming their truth, being proclaimed as the Word of God. And it's not the truth of God's Word. So I want to have a look at two portions of Scripture that most often get used out of context to justify our ability to speak power. So we're going to have a look at Mark 11, where Joseph Prince was. Uh, 22 to 24 says, Jesus replied to them, Having have faith in God, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt with his heart, but believes that what, it's, what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Hey, clear as day. Likewise, John 14, 12 to 14, truly I tell you, whatever, oh, sorry, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Unfortunately, these get portrayed in light of, if I have enough faith, I can move mountains. And realistically, I don't know of anyone who has physically, with their words, moved a mountain. I mean, we've got the hummock right there. Did we? Oh, no, it's not a mountain, sorry. So to make it a little bit more digestible and, and realistic, we create mountains in our life. The, uh, that obstacle that gets in the way of the, the blessing of God, the, the receiving the favor of God, and if I have enough faith, I can move that mountain of sickness. I can move that mountain of debt, that mountain of unemployment. And the list goes on. What about the mountain of God's wrath set before me 
because of my sin before a righteous and holy God. So let's bring these two verses into context and I'm mostly going to focus in Mark 11. I'm not familiar with these draw tippy things. All right, we're going to go back to, and we've got to start back at um, Mark 11, verse 1 in Mark 11. Because it paints a a picture of, of what verse 22 and 24 are actually referring to. So Jesus, we know the story, Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey as a victorious king. And we're coming into Jerusalem, which is the the capital city, the holy city, the temple of the Lord, the presence of God dwells here. Jesus comes in, the, the crowds are going wild, they're proclaiming, shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna to the highest in heaven. What a ruckus it was. Jesus makes his way through the city on his way to the temple and he has a look around and it says by this time it was late in the afternoon and can I suggest this is what Jesus saw? He saw a marketplace closed for the afternoon and thus begins the beginning of his parable to his disciples and no less for us today. The next morning, Jesus and his disciples, they, they get up, they're heading for the temple again, and Jesus is hungry, and he sees a fig tree off in the distance, and he goes to that fig tree for, for a feed, and he finds nothing. So what's the best thing that you can do? You curse that tree. How dare you not give me a feed? He says to that tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say this, and I'm sure they took several steps back going, Jesus got out of the wrong side of the bed this morning. No, he's beginning his lesson plan. They make their way to the temple, and by now the temple is in full swing. It is in f- at full capacity operationally. Um, and, and so Jesus sees this, this operation in the temple and he turns into a righteous hulk, right? He, he starts cleaning out the temple, turning tables, chasing out the money changers, releasing the, the animals and it would have been a right scene because this is where the presence of the Lord resides, in the Holy of Holies, yet out in the front court is a bazaar, a marketplace. And once Jesus was done, he he sits down and teaches the people, is it not written that my house would be a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. So the next morning, they're they're making their way, well, we assume they're making their way back to the temple. And and his disciples see that the tree, hey, Rabbi, that tree that you, you swore at yesterday, that you cursed, It's actually dead. It's completely withered up and it has died. And again, Jesus continues his lesson. 
which brings us to 22 and 24, which we've already read. Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if you say to this mountain, jump into the sea, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you've received it. I can't help but think of John chapter 14 in this, that it says, the one who believes will also do the works that I do. So does that mean that we go around cursing trees? It's what Jesus did. He, he healed the sick. We can heal the sick. We can, we can restore sight to the blind. Crikey, we should be able to raise people from the dead if that's what it's saying. But the barren tree gives us a clue. The barren tree represents in this parable the barren fruitful fruitless worship of his people and the temple jesus knows his very purpose and belonging was to come and glorify god the father with his perfect death his his sacrificial death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins jesus is saying I'm doing away with all of this. I'm doing away with this religion. I'm doing away with this sacrificial system. I have come. So at the right time, disciples, at the right church, people, we too can believe that Jesus has come to make a way. We too can say, Religion, whatever it is that gets in our way of just acknowledging Christ as our Savior, we can say, go and jump into the sea. You know, this foundational mountain that the temple was on that formed the foundations of the, of the, of the Jewish system is now gone. Jesus has come and made a way. Do not doubt, but believe that what he says will happen and it will be done for you. Believe, church, that God in his infinite love, mercy and grace has made a way through Jesus. Everything you pray for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. There is no if, buts or maybes, okay? It will be yours. Believe and you will receive it. Likewise, John 14, 13 says, Whatever you ask in my name, in the name of Jesus, I will receive it. If you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. I want to make this super clear. The only prayer worth praying that equates to receiving everything is the one that says, Jesus, I need you. That is it. And if you need help, it'd go something like this. God and Heavenly Father, I am a wretched sinner separated from your love. God, I accept your gift of life 
that comes only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I give my life. I give my possessions. I give my all to Jesus, who is my life and my Lord. Amen. Believe with faith. Do not doubt and you will receive forgiveness. You will receive the righteousness of God through Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's where that comes in. God-centered theology versus man-centered joy. Treating Jesus like he's, he's my personal genie in my heart. And I just give him a rub and, and put my requests in and I will receive earthly gain. No. If we treat Jesus like as if he's some cosmic vending machine that I, I put my prayers in and I get my requests out. If I put my good works in, I do everything that I think I can do for the favor of God, will I receive what I've asked for? But then what about that time I didn't receive? I put it in. Oh, crikey, I've short-changed the machine. I'll, uh, I'll throw in the name of Jesus. Ah, but I still haven't gotten what I've asked for. Um, man, this must be a, an expensive item. No. It's false theology. If you are being fed on this sort of teaching that points to you finding your joy in material blessing and favor from God, well, that's false teaching. And you need to make a choice to actively walk away from that sort of thing. You need to stop searching, logging on, online, listening for people that point you to Jesus being your way to joy and happiness in material gain. Not man-centered, but Christ-centered. If your hope and your belonging, your worth and your value and your joy is not grounded in Christ and Christ alone, then you are in rebellion to God. If you are shaking your fist in rage and anger toward God because He hasn't given you what you've asked for, you are in direct rebellion to God. But the great news is, the great news is that God will receive the prayers of a repentant heart. Roman not, uh, Romans chapter 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, people. That's what we're talking about. It's as simple as that. 
believe and you will receive. Ask anything in the name of Jesus and it will be done for you for the things pertaining to the salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All glory be to God. So do our words have power to create things out of nothing? No. Do our words have power to redirect and guide and alter the course of our future? No. Does God use our words? Does he use our prayers to display his glory? Yes, he does. Absolutely he does in accordance with his will and the glory of God. How should we pray? His disciples asked Jesus. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, you are it. You are the pinnacle. There is none like you. You are set apart. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's how we pray. Jesus prayed in the garden before he was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane to be crucified. And he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. How should we pray, church? We pray in accordance with the will of God. Not my will, God, but yours be done. So in closing, with Jesus as your everything, and I mean he is it. You think of everything you have right now and you forsake it for the sake of Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. With Jesus as your everything, and you pray in accordance with the will of God, and you experience answered prayer, how do we respond? Praise the Lord, hallelujah, all glory be to God for His goodness to me. Yes? Yes, we do. Exactly the same scenario. As Jesus, as my everything, forsaking all other, we pray in accordance with the will of God and we experience unanswered prayer, how do we respond? It's going to be hard. It's going to take a little bit of time. It'll be said through tears, but we say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, all glory be to God for His goodness to me because He knows what's best. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I, I just pray that you would reveal through your spirit in what ways we, we take the limelight. We, we shine the light on ourselves in terms of how we want to seek our own joy and our own glory. Lord, teach us. Teach us to turn that spotlight onto Christ that Jesus would be our everything, that he would be our security, 
our hope and our joy. If we experience loss, we say, thank you, Jesus. If we experience a a bad diagnosis, we say, praise the Lord, because you know what's best for us. Turn our hearts that we would, they would be inclined to you and your glory. Amen.